Welcome to Quarantine Seminary with Brother Isom. Hello, everybody. Today we continue our look into King Benjamin's speech. I wonder if this were a talk that were given in general conference, what Benjamin would have named it. Perhaps the goodness of God and the nothingness of man. Or are we not all beggars? By the way, there's an Elder Holland talk with that title, and it's fantastic. Or maybe he'd call it Children of Adam, Children of Christ. My vote is for that last one. I ended the last episode with this comment. Children of Adam inherit the fall, but children of Christ inherit the resurrection. One criticism of this comment could be that we believe that everybody will be resurrected. In fact, that's part of the goodness of God and his grace. But as we've seen in Jacob and again with Benjamin, it's not just about what you experience in this life. It's perhaps more important how we experience it or how we respond to it. If a person were to be resurrected, but were still, as Jacob says, carnally minded, couldn't we still call that death? I think we could. Or maybe death wouldn't be a strong enough word. Compare that person's unfiltered experience of their carnal yet resurrected state with someone who's already spiritually minded and then experiences the resurrection. Truly, the latter experience would be life eternal. You'll remember that I've referenced Adam Miller a number of times, and particularly his book, An Early Resurrection, Life in Christ Before We Die, where he talks about the symbolic experience of letting our old life die, and then being raised with Christ, even while we are still alive. We saw in Enos, an example of someone who underwent a spiritual rebirth, similar to that which we experience at baptism. All of those things will be relevant to our walkthrough of Mosiah 5. Before we jump into the chapter, I want to make sure that we have a clear picture of Benjamin's logic up until this point. Everyone on earth inherits the conditions of the fall, what Benjamin calls the natural man. Our natural being seeks the basic needs of survival, shelter, water, belonging, meaning, etc., though often at the expense of other considerations, like morality or the needs of others. Natural individuals are born into natural communities who get caught in cultures, traditions, and systems that trying to meet these basic natural needs create artificial separations with real-life consequences. These separations are artificial because they don't accurately reflect our relationship to God or others. But they feel natural because we have inherited them from generations past. And often they are all we know. Like fish in water, we grow up swimming in these artificial boundaries. Do fish even know that they're swimming in water? The natural man isn't necessarily evil. But the evil spirit, as Benjamin calls it, can seize upon those natural needs and exploit them for destructive ends without our even knowing it. Let's continue with this fish metaphor, but we're going to shift it a little. A fish may not know that they're swimming in water, but it'll become pretty obvious that something's wrong 
when they are removed from that water and begin to suffocate. Their gills will try and pump water to extract oxygen that they need, but they are out of their element, and all of their natural efforts will at best be useless and at worst contribute to their death. This is why Benjamin wants his people to realize that they are all beggars. The wealth, culture, power, status, everything that we think gives us oxygen and life that we put so much effort into aren't our water. They aren't where we belong or what gives us life. They're actually part of what is suffocating us. In our efforts not to die, we end up confusing dying slowly for living. To see yourself as a beggar is to realize that as a child of Adam, you are a fish out of water, and no amount of wealth or status or covetousness can change the fact that you are suffocating. Christ is the only one who can get you back into the life-saving water, and so our only hope is to become what Benjamin will call a child of Christ through faith, repentance, covenant-making and keeping receiving a remission of our sins, and retaining that remission through actions that reflect our infinite indebtedness to Christ, namely service of others and of God. Okay, now that we have his logic clear in our minds, let's take a look at verses 1 through 5 in chapter 5. Benjamin wants to know if his people believe his words, so he sends out a survey to the people. We don't exactly know what this looks like or how long it took, But the people's response was an emphatic yes. They believed his words because they said, The Spirit of the Lord Omnipotent, which has wrought a mighty change in us or in our hearts, that we have no more disposition to do evil but to do good continually. They haven't just opened their ears and heard. They've opened their hearts and understood and their minds so that the mysteries of God could be unfolded to their view. This is what they say. And we ourselves also, through the infinite goodness of God and the manifestations of his spirit have great views of that which is to come. And were it expedient, we could prophesy of great things. Let's not get hung up, as people have a tendency to do, on what these, quote, mysteries of God are. That's a phrase that we'll see time and time again in the Book of Mormon. I love how BYU professor James Faulkner describes the mysteries of God. He says that the mysteries are the things that you can't understand unless you know God. Service, for example, is a mystery that Benjamin wants his people to understand. When you know God, you don't need to be convinced why service is important. Baptism is another one. People who don't have a relationship with Christ just see people doing a useless ritual where everybody gets wet. For others, it's a moment of profound transformation. We could go on and on, The scriptures come to mind as one of the greatest mysteries, not because they teach such secret things, but because many people, even in the church, struggle having a nourishing experience in the scriptures. Benjamin's people, at least for the moment, though, get it. They see that they need a savior. They see that God will come to redeem them. And they see how that knowledge should change how they treat each other. So they want to make a covenant with God. Now, these are already covenant people. All of them, presumably, are Israelites. But making, renewing, and keeping covenants from generation to generation and individual to individual is an expression of gratitude and love toward God. It's also a primary way that God's people have always tried to turn powerful experiences into sustained relationships. I've mentioned before that one of my professors from BYU, Jennifer Lane, recently came out with a fantastic book called 
finding Christ in the covenant path. In it, she writes, Covenants create family relationships. Covenants change who we are because they change our relationships with those around us and their relationships to us. Benjamin is pleased with their response and with their covenant. So he wants to give them a gift. Way back in Mosiah chapter 1 verses 11 and 12, Benjamin told his son Mosiah that he wanted to give his people a name, and the time has come to give that gift. And now he says, because of the covenants which ye have made, ye shall be called the children of Christ, his sons and his daughters. For behold, this day he hath spiritually begotten you. For ye say that your hearts are changed through faith on his name. Therefore ye are born of him and have become his sons and daughters. Jennifer Lane says of this experience, For King Benjamin's people, taking the name of Christ as a covenant name indicated a new relationship, a new identity, and the promise of a new nature created by their covenant. Just as Abraham did not become a father of multitudes immediately upon entering into the covenant relationship, taking upon us the name of Christ is part of the covenant promise of what we can become through covenant faithfulness. Paul says that when we receive the, quote, spirit of adoption, into Christ's family, we become joint heirs with Christ. That seems to be what is happening here. It would be rare in the church today to hear someone call Christ our Father, but prophets in the Book of Mormon do it all the time, especially Abinadi and Benjamin. Our eternal families are really his eternal family, because as Benjamin tells his people, under this head ye are made free, and there is no other head whereby ye can be made free. There's no other name given whereby salvation cometh. So how is it that we are spiritually begotten? What does that mean exactly? I'm sure most of us want to live up to our covenants to take upon ourselves the name of Christ and obey him and follow him. How can this people's experience be instructive for us? You are all familiar with the phrase, dead man walking. We usually use it to signal somebody's impending doom, whether literal or figurative. Like when a student gets called to the principal's office and everybody knows what they did. It's such a virtual certainty that they're going to get in trouble that you can already feel the force of that event, even before it happens. Well, we are all of us dead people walking. None of us is going to make it out of this life alive. But that end doesn't need to be binding. And in fact, we can be freed from it in some respects while we are still alive. And we see that in the mighty change that Benjamin's people experience. Their desires aren't so natural anymore. They don't seem to be governed by the fear of death and the interest of self-preservation. Of course, they still need to survive, and they're still living in a fallen world, but they want to do good continually in spite of that. I mentioned in an earlier episode the connection between Mosiah, Messiah, and Christ. They all basically mean the same thing, the anointed. Kings and queens, priests and priestesses, these people get anointed. Benjamin is anointing Mosiah, his son, but now his people will carry the name of the anointed. They're expected to act as righteous rulers, taking responsibility for the well-being of the people, and as consecrated holy ones, administering the covenant of gathering Israel. That's what Messiah people do. Benjamin wants them to quote, retain the name written always in their hearts, that they hear and know by which voice they shall be called, and also the name by which he shall call them. In other words, remember that you have been begotten by Christ in an early resurrection and live as his joint heirs would, so that when the time comes to be called to share his throne, you can recognize his voice and answer that call. The master, he says, 
isn't going to put his property in the care of a stranger. So show that you can be a faithful servant. Jesus puts the same idea like this. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, and I shall make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And what are we to be faithful in? This again from Jesus. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that knoweth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And one more from Jesus. This one's a little longer. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them, one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand. Side note, Benjamin tells his people they are now on the right hand of God. But the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was unhungered, and ye gave me meat, and I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in, naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungered, and ye gave me no meat, and I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in, naked, and ye clothed me not, sick, and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not to the one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now doesn't that sound a little bit like what King Benjamin wants his people to realize? Doesn't that sound like answering the beggar's call? Really, you should just read Matthew 25 alongside with King Benjamin's speech. And it's almost like the two texts were written together. I've spent a lot of time thinking about the final words of Benjamin's speech. They've brought comfort, light, and guidance to me over many years. I don't really want to spoil them with a lot of commentary. So I'm going to end just by reading them in full. Thanks for listening to this episode, everyone. Therefore, I would that you should be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in good works, that Christ, the Lord God omnipotent, may seal you his, that you may be brought to heaven, that you may have everlasting salvation and eternal life through the wisdom 
and power and justice and mercy of him who created all things in heaven and in earth, who is God above all. Amen. Quarantine Seminary is an independent podcast unaffiliated with The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. None of the views expressed here represent the official teaching or position of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Our music today, as always, was provided by Dallin Isom. Be sure to check out his stuff at SoundCloud.com. Be sure to subscribe to stay up to date on new content. Until next time, I'm your host, Mason Isom. Thank you.